um, on why God is always on, meaning we can always have access to whatever we need in him. And, uh, and that he, it's his desire to give that to us. It's not, you know, you, you, for example, I think I taught one Wednesday night about the woman with the issue of blood who came and touched the hem of the garment of Jesus, and she received healing. And it wasn't Jesus deciding it. The power of God was just on, and it just was, and she tapped into it. She worked with the principles of the kingdom, just like you could work with the principles of electricity, and just tap into it. So, um, let's look at a few different reasons of why we might not be experiencing it. Uh, First reason, um, and and this could be a common answer among uh, among these among this these circles. However, I would say that a lot of times this answer is given incorrectly, but it is a possibility uh, that there is a lack of faith. There's a lack of faith. Um, that is a possibility. If someone is just, they're not believing for it. They, you know, they would say, you know, um, I, I truly do not believe at all that when I prayed this that I was going to receive it, and therefore there was no faith present there was no trust in the word of God, so they missed out on what they wanted because they didn't believe for it. They, there was no faith present um, for that. Uh, however, if if you've been um, believing God for things and you really believe God for it, there was faith present. And uh, sometimes even with faith present and you are believing for it and it is something that you're, you know— Surprise that you don't receive, surprise that you don't get. Um, there's still sometimes we don't get it in that moment. So what is that? What, why, why does that happen? Let's look at some troubleshooting, why exactly those things aren't happening. Even if there is faith there, even if I could say, you know what, I've seen blind eyes open. I've seen, maybe you haven't, maybe you've seen a headache um, uh, relieved. Maybe you've been praying for a friend or a neighbor to receive the Lord, and they did. And so you know that your prayers work sometimes, but there's times where you just like, I don't understand. I don't get it. I don't know why it's not happening. And we've all been there, right? Um, you even look at Jesus, right? There's a couple examples where he didn't have a hundred percent success. Um, and I can, and we'll go, we'll get into that and I'll show you those. And there's a reason it gives you the reason why. And so we want to, we want to endeavor to know why, why are, and I don't think it's a wrong question to ask. I don't think we should just keep smacking our head up against the wall and, and saying, Oh, I, I can't, I can't ask this question. I need to, you know, I need to go in further. I need to dive deeper and figure out what's really going on. Um, Let's turn over to Mark chapter 9. So this is uh, right after Jesus and Elijah and Moses um, are up on the mount. And uh, Jesus is transfigured. He's glowing coming down the mountain. And um, we'll jump right into it. It's right after that. We'll start in verse 14. It says, And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, because he's glowing, uh, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, What are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. Here's here's an example of failure um, on the disciples' part to cast out a demon. Now, I will say that um, later on I'll show you that the disciples are astonished that they can't do this. It's a surprise to them. It's not like they didn't have faith to do this. Previous chapters show that they, Jesus sent them out to cast out demons to heal the sick, and they came back like 
uh, like off the charts, like this is amazing, you know, even, even the demons bow to your name. And so they experience success. They're coming from a position where they've seen repetitive success over and over and over, receiving from God, getting people delivered of uh, demonic influence, demonic oppression. So they're like, what's going on? Why isn't this working? We'll, we'll go, we'll, we'll keep reading here. I want you to know, um, I want you to look at here Jesus' response when, when he hears the, the disciples couldn't do it, when the disciples failed. You know, we, we th- sometimes Jesus is portrayed in society as a real meek, super gentle all the time, not really, you know, uh, doesn't want to offend anyone. That's totally contrary to really who he is. He, uh, he totally offended people in his day. Like, like horribly offended them, like, like they were repulsed by him. So they they literally wanted to kill him at times. They were so offended at what he said. So uh, here he is being offensive, but uh, that's okay. He's he's telling us the truth and he's giving us insight. And he's always you have to remember Jesus is always love. He's always doing everything in love. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, and he saw him. Immediately the spirit convulsed him. This is, there's capital H's so you know who's who. Uh, The spirit convulsed him, the boy. He fell on the ground, wallowed, foaming at the mouth. He asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, often he's thrown him both into the fire and into the water to, to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. So Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So here you get a picture where someone is believing. He says, I believe, I believe, but I also have unbelief. And there is the possibility that we could be believing for something, but there would also be unbelief present. And so um, we'll, we'll keep going here. Immediately the father of the child, oh, that's 24, 25 says, When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to him, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he he became one as dead, so that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So we're going to keep going in there in just a second, but I want to show you um, that... Right after Jesus commands this demon out, all of a sudden it starts manifesting. If you look at it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you to come out. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly. So here you have a full manifestation of a demonic spirit inside of a little boy after Jesus commanded it gone. Now, um, I, I kind of like to put myself in the situation. I like to, to speculate and try to see, okay, what was going on? What happened? Um, when you see the disciples, did when, when they prayed for him, I, one thing that I like to point out uh, that I was thinking about is when it says disciples, it was probably at least one or two of them. Notice that there's no names. They probably like all got together and said, hey, let's not tell which disciple it was. We're just... We're just going to say disciples. That way we don't look bad. Um, So there's no account of who did it, but uh, I'm guessing all 12 of them probably didn't all try to to do it. Like, next in line. Okay, you try. No, that didn't work. You try. I don't see that happening. Um, so verse 29, so this is, so there's two accounts of this story. There's two accounts of this happening. One's in Mark 9. The other is in Matthew 17. Uh, his answer, why can we not cast it out? He said to them, this kind could come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. 
by prayer and fasting. Now it's easy to put your mind and say, this kind of demon is really tough. This kind of demon is difficult. It's the, it's the one where you have to really pray and you have to fast and then it will come out. But if you notice, uh, that's, that's really not what Jesus is saying. Um, because when he tells the Father to just believe, he's not, he's, he's not saying, okay, you need to go pray and you need to go fast. He's saying, if you believe. And then he, he reveals that I have unbelief. So let's jump over to Matthew 17. We'll get some more insight. So verse 19, Matthew 17, 19. Uh, they're asking the same question. Disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? So here's a little bit longer of an answer in Matthew. So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. What's the, what's the subject that he's talking about? It's not demons. The subject that he's talking about is unbelief. This kind of unbelief comes out through prayer and fasting. Notice that he's not saying, if you you have a different translation, like a New Living Translation or NIV, uh, it'll say, uh, because you have a lack of faith. That's actually an incorrect translation. Because he goes on to make the very next point is, if you have the tiniest amount of faith, which mustard seed was like, they're, they're super little. So if you have the faith just this big, you could literally move a mountain from, uh, from its place into the sea. So if you, if you look at what he's saying, it's not a problem of having enough faith or too little of faith. He's saying, even if you have the tiniest amount then you're okay. You can do whatever you need to do. The problem that he's saying is it's because of your unbelief. So there's literally a possibility where you could have faith and unbelief and it's countering your faith. What he's really saying is you need to have pure faith, pure faith, not mixed with unbelief. Another word you could use besides unbelief would be doubt. If there's doubt mixed in there with it. So he's saying that that there's multiple, you could assume when he says this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting, you could assume that there's multiple kinds of unbelief, which there is. Um, And so let's talk about some of the kinds of unbelief that there are. Again, we're getting into the nitty gritty of why things aren't working. Why are we not experiencing victory? We need to be experiencing victory. So we're just going to start fine tuning, adjusting what we're thinking, adjusting what we're doing so that we can actually see the manifest will of God in our life. Um, So so he points to uh, this type of unbelief comes out through prayer and fasting. Um, let's call that type number one. Uh, I believe that this type that he's talking about is, is a natural unbelief. It's a natural unbelief. What that means is you are so, they were so in tune with their senses, with their eyes, what they hear, what they feel, what they smell, that that dominated their belief system over the, over the word that Jesus gave them that says, when you cast out demons in my name, they will leave. So their, what they experienced and what they saw contradicted the word. And because they were more moved by what they saw, you know, the, the scripture says that we walk by faith and not by sight. Um, they were more moved by what they saw that they, uh, they instantly lost the word. All, it didn't work. So I, I speculate that when they prayed for this, this young boy, the, he prob- the demon inside of him probably did the exact same thing it did when Jesus prayed for him, which is immediately go into a seizure. So imagine uh, father comes up, can you pray for my son? He's, he's oppressed by a demon, has seizures all the time. I've seen a hundred demons cast out, of course. Yeah, no problem. Demon, get out of him. All of a sudden, he starts going into this big seizure. Starts, this demon starts manifesting. Instantly, they're swayed by what they see. 
So there's an unbelief there that says, I believe more of what I'm seeing, experiencing, than what the word that was given to me was. So Jesus, I know you said this, but I'm seeing something different here. So this is, what, what's going on here? Why? Am, and notice that Jesus saw the same thing happen when he prayed for the demon, or he prayed for the boy that had the demon. He, he's not praying for demons. <laughs> That would be wrong to do. <laughs> so he prayed for the boy, and immediately he starts convulsing for, uh, uh, when Jesus does it, but yet Jesus isn't moved. Jesus ha- is a, has steadfastness and, and basically says, you could see it inside of him. You're coming out. You're coming out. There's, I, don't, I don't care. You can go flop around like a fish. You're coming out. And so he's not moved by what he sees. And he's talking about a type of unbelief here. This kind of unbelief comes out through prayer and fasting. So this is, un, this is a form of unbelief. Um, and we can, the remedy, the prescription is to pray more and fast more. And I think so many things about fasting are, are misconstrued. Uh, I think as a body, total body of Christ, there's very little understanding of what fasting does and, and how it works. And so because people are confused about fasting, they don't do it, or they think it's this really daunting task. Um, but fasting is crucial. It's crucial to the walk uh, that we're called to walk. Because what it does is it desensitizes us. It desensitizes us to our flesh, to the natural realm. And, it, and it, the, when we substitute prayer and we combine it with prayer, all of a sudden we're now uh, tuning ourselves in, becoming more sensitive to the Spirit. And so when we're more sensitive than, to the Spirit than we are, are the natural, we can see something contrary to what we just prayed, what we just spoke, and still have absolutely no doubt that it's already done. Because Jesus said, what you, when you pray, that's when you believe that you received it. He didn't say, you're going to believe it when you see it. How do we get to there? Well, prayer and fasting is one of the, uh, the main ways that we get rid of this type of unbelief. Did you, I, I mean, this is, a, this is literally a life and death matter here. If we are ineffectual, if we, if we can't figure this out, literally life and death are in the balance. So we want to be experts. We want to be, we want to have our belief down, our unbelief down here and our faith here. And if we, you know, you, if you look at it like, um, like I have a, I have a diesel truck. And if I hook my diesel, diesel truck up to a little Honda Civic, I'm going to pull that thing anywhere I want it to go. Even though it's, put, it's pulling the opposite direction, you know, it's bumper to bumper. I want our faith to be our, a diesel truck and our unbelief to be either nothing or a Honda Civic. Because if you, now if your unbelief is all of a sudden like a truck, another diesel truck, you have tons of force. Your faith isn't different. It's got the same amount of power. But now on the other side of the equation, you have unbelief that has been able to, to grow, been able to kind of make, take root in your heart. And now there's like ton of force being exerted, but there's no movement. And so all of a sudden, why isn't it working? So uh, we have to just say, I need to take unbelief and I need to get out of my life. So that's, that's one kind of unbelief, the natural unbelief. Um, let's, let's go into um, fasting. Let's just talk briefly about fasting, since I mentioned that there's lots of confusion about it. Uh, fasting isn't uh, a way to move God. You're not, God's not impressed by you fasting. He's not moved by you fasting. He doesn't change. You know, he's never changing. So when we fast, it's not to convince God to do something uh, that he isn't doing already. What fasting does is it changes us. And we have to be the ones that adjust so that we can tune in and receive uh, what he's trying to get to us. Again, there's no problem with the power company. The power company's on. The lever is on. The problem is, do we have unbelief going on in us? Um, And I I would say multiple occasions that is the case. So you have, um, so what fasting, so ways you fast. 
there's no really right or wrong way to fast as far as what to fast from, um, except you don't want to fast from anything godly. Like, don't say, I'm going to fast from reading my Bible. That would be wrong. Uh, <laughs> you, you fast from things that are natural, that have to do with your natural senses. You can fast from TV. You can fast from food, obviously. You can fast from certain types of food. Uh, in, you know, Daniel had a fast where he didn't eat any of the meat uh, that was prepared and offered up as sacrifice to the idols. So there's different types of fasts. Uh, there, there's benefits to both. I would say that on a regular basis, it's good to fast. Um, you'll want to uh, also fast from food. Food and the desire to eat and the hunger uh, is one of the strongest desires we have. So if you go a full day, I guarantee you, without eating, your body's going to be yelling at you. You're going to die if you don't eat. <laughs> and the truth is, they've done studies on this, that that's not the, you're, it takes over 40 days before you actually start dying from a lack of food. Uh, That's assuming you're not currently malnourished. But uh, I'm not malnourished, so I have at least 40 days. So so yes, your body's going to tell you that you're dying, but you're not. But your, your body has a voice. Your flesh has a voice. And what we're trying to do when we're, when we're fasting is we're getting uh, our flesh into submission. Because uh, when our flesh is in the submission, the spirit has the, uh, the, um, now the place to rule and reign. Uh, you know, there's, I'm, I'm sure there's some of us, if we went on a three-day fast right now, it, we would feel like we're dying. And the, you have to look at that and ask, is that right? Is that okay? Because you have, to, you have to ask, is my body in control? Is my flesh in control? Do I have the ability inside myself to say, flesh, I'm putting you down. I'm putting you down. Yeah, you can say that you're hungry, but I'm going to tell you that you're not. And so when we're doing this on a consistent basis, what we're doing is we're training our body. It's similar to like training a dog. When you're training a dog, it learns to be submissive. It doesn't start that way. It learns to be submissive, and you have to train it, put it in its place, and show it that it's not in control. That's what fasting does. You start, um, all of a sudden, when your body is experiencing pain, when your body's experiencing, your body's yelling at you, this hurts, okay? Now, you, if you apply the word, you're healed in Jesus' name. You lay hands on yourself. You receive healing. If, you, if you're not used to training your body on what, to, on what it should do, if you're not used to training your body to be submitted to your spirit, your body's going to be like, you're not telling me what to do. I tell you what to do. I tell you when to go eat. I tell you how much to eat. So what we're doing is when we're, when we're fasting, we're training our body to say, okay, you have control over us. You, you have control over the, the flesh. The flesh doesn't have control over you. So that, when, again, there's different aspects of the way the flesh looks at things and how it speaks. You know, it, if, if we see something, our flesh is telling us, look at that. Look at this. It's contrary to what you just said. But if your flesh is trained to say, well, you're in control, not me. So if you say it, then it's that way. All of a sudden, unbelief is gone and your faith will manifest what you're believing for. So that's type number one. Unbelief type number one is uh, a natural unbelief. Second type. And I, and I would say that this isn't an exhaustive list. This isn't, I haven't studied and said this is the only, these are the only kinds of unbelief. Uh, but these are a few that I think are predominant ones. There's, the unbe- there's unbelief that's ignorance. So ignorance meaning you just are not aware of certain things. So if, if you've never heard that God heals and you've never heard that he does that, you could be just living with sickness and this was me for a long, long time. You could just be living with sickness, living with disease, and have no idea that, that, uh, that you could be healed of that. That's called unbelief. The remedy for that is just giving the truth. So it's a really easy remedy. It's the easiest one to, to remedy. 
Because once the truth comes and you receive it, all of a sudden that, that type of unbelief is gone. And you now have faith for that. Third, third kind of unbelief is, and this one's a little bit harder, this one is uh, either disbelief or comes through wrong teaching. So if you've grown up in a church and the church that you grew up in says, well, maybe God's trying to teach you something by giving you that sickness. Maybe he wants to uh, glorify himself through you being sick, through you dealing with that disease. And that's all you've heard. You haven't heard any contrary opinion to that. And all of a sudden, you hear God wants you healed. God wants you to be well. He, he wants, and, and all of a sudden, someone comes and prays for you. Your unbelief is going to be greater than your faith to believe for that because it's ingrained throughout your belief system that God does not want me healed. God does not want me to be uh, well. Or whatever it is, whether that's finances, whatever it is, that uh, type of unbelief, it's the same remedy. The truth is given, but it has to be uh, something where your mind is renewed to that. And that takes usually a while. And I can tell you I've been under lots of wrong teaching in you know, previous churches and things. It, it's, it's work, but it's possible to get rid of that type of unbelief. You can get so convinced of what reality is and what God's really said that those, even though you've been under the wrong teaching for 20 years, you can come into a place of saying, you know what, I am 100% fully convinced there is no unbelief in me at all um, about whatever against I'm believing for. Let's, let's just use healing, for example. There's no way I could possibly be, uh, that God would possibly not want me well. And so I'm going to just receive healing as a gift from him. So that's, that's a third type of unbelief. Um, there is another type of unbelief. Turn with me really, to, uh, really quickly to Matthew 13. Just a few chapters over. It's a big chapter. All the way down. Uh, 53. Verse 53, uh, this is Jesus in Nazareth. And now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished these parables, that he departed from there. When he came to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country and in his own house. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So there's another type of unbelief that's, that's basically like dishonoring. If you are to not receive a... Say if someone's praying for you... If you don't receive that person as a, someone who is, um, you know, directed by God to pray for you or is, um, uh, basically he's talking about a prophet's reward. If you're not going to see what the gift and the calling that God has on their life, then you are going to have dishonor towards that calling, dishonor towards that gifting, and you're going to have unbelief to receive. So... Literally, I've prayed for people, them not get healed, not, not see experience. And I knew, I, I, are, I knew that it was because they didn't think, they didn't think I could do it. They didn't, they didn't think it was within me. They didn't think that it was possible. Now, I have seen it the other way where someone literally didn't think, you know, didn't think that they were going to get healed when I prayed for them, and they did get healed. And I'll say, I, I would argue that that's the exception, not the norm. I, I would argue that I was operating into a gift of the Spirit when, when doing that. And there's talk, you know, there's a gift of, of faith. Um, and so that person was gifted faith. So um, there is a type of unbelief where it's dishonor. If you were to, to look at someone and say, you know, I know this person's doing this. I know this person's background. There's no way that, that I'm going to be able to receive from them. Or if there's just a hesitation, 
you can literally have unbelief in your heart to receive and miss out on what God wants to do through that person because you've dishonored them in your own mind. So dishonoring is another one. Another one, we'll just call this uh, the last one, fifth one here, is fear of men. Fear of men. This is a, a huge problem with our current society. I believe so many people don't step out and don't do the will of God and have this really in, ingrained fee, uh, unbelief that's based on a fear of men. So they're so concerned about what, what is this person going to think? What is this person going to react? How are they going to take this if I do this? Uh, you know, Jesus was directed to spit in, mud, in dirt and make mud and put it on some guy's face. He didn't care what that person was thinking. And, and we got to get to that point where we are so just, I want to know what God thinks, and I don't care what someone else thinks. Now, you can, you can take that the wrong way and say, well, I don't need to wear deodorant because I don't care if, you, if I smell. <laughs> that would be the wrong way to go. Uh, you... Uh, definitely want to smell good so that you don't offend them with your smell. You can offend them with, with the gospel. Amen. So, uh, so you, so the now here's the remedy. Here's the remedy. It's also uh, prayer and fasting. You can. It's this is really the fear of men is a type of a natural unbelief. Uh, and prayer and fasting again, being close with the Father, and getting all your your natural um, senses in line and your flesh in order, because if you think about it, your the fear of men and fear of what they're gonna they're gonna think, it really is flesh based. It really is self centeredness, and that can come out through prayer, and it can come out through fasting. So. Um, you know, if, you, if you've heard stories of Smith Wigglesworth, Smith Wigglesworth was a, a guy that did ton, had tons and tons of healings, saw miracles all the time. He would, like, open up his services and say, okay, the first one up here uh, gets healed. And so literally they would have people run up there or carry people up there so that they would get healed. But he, he's known for—he he would kick babies— he would drop kick babies and, and kick them into the first few rows. But, the, but here's the thing. They got healed. They got healed. But he, he was not moved. I hear some gasps and laughs about that. I, I went to the very extreme right away. He did other stuff too that wasn't quite so extreme. But he was not moved by what people were going to think of, of him. And so he was just saying, God... This person, this baby, whatever, needs healed. What do you, how, do you want, how do you want to go about it? And, and apparently he was led to do that because it worked, right? You, if it doesn't work, you, were, you probably need to uh, go see a psychiatrist or something <laughs> for kicking a baby because that wasn't God. So we have to get so convinced that we have to please God we have to do what he says. We have to live our lives according to what he says and not be swayed by what men are thinking. I, I saw this video on Facebook a while back, uh, and it just, it just made me, like, made my jaw drop. Um, and maybe you've, maybe you've seen this video, but uh, they did a social experiment where they had a doctor's office, and they had a bunch of people in there that were actors in the waiting room, and they, had, they, they played this little, this little bell, ding, and, uh, and when they played the bell, everyone would stand up, all these actors would stand up and then sit back down, and it would happen like th- every 30 seconds or something. And, uh, and this lady comes in, not an actor, a uh, real person there to see the doctor, and she goes to sit down, uh, that she has checked in, they tell her to take a seat, and all of a sudden the bell goes off and everybody stands up and sits down and she's looking around trying to figure out what's going on. And it happens probably two or three, four times, and all of a sudden the bell goes off and she stands up. She has no idea what she's doing or why she's doing it. And it goes on for like minutes, 10, 15 minutes, and eventually one by one, all of these actor, actors and actresses get called in, and, are, and it's just her out there by herself. Ding! She stands up <laughs> and sits back down, and she does it for a while. 
And then they start introducing other people into, into the waiting room that are not actors. And they start doing the same thing. And they're standing, and now you have a room full of people that are standing up at this bell for, and they have no idea why. And there's no purpose to it whatsoever. And it just, it just dawned on me, the power of our society and the influence that it has on us and uh, how, how easily we could be swayed to do things and think things just because that's what's normal and that's what's culturally acceptable. And, uh, and, and literally, there was, there was one of the guys that was doing it, they would, he held out for like three or four minutes. Like, he was like, I am not going to do this. But eventually, he, he succumbed to the pressure of, of the group and started doing it with them. So uh, we have to get to a place where we're not going to be convinced to do something or think a certain way or, or do something uh, because that's what's expected of us. That's what other people think we should do. We should be swayed by, well, God wants me to do this. God didn't tell me to stand up when the bell dings, so I'm not going to. No matter what anyone else does around me, no, one, no matter what anyone else says, no matter how many gas or, or uh, pressure I'm going to feel from the outside. And again, that comes through int- intimacy with the Father. So when we're close with Him, when we're, when we're experiencing Him, when we're fasting and c- putting our flesh in the mission, all of a sudden we're experiencing uh, God to a greater level, and we're going to see victory. We're going to see um, over us overcome, and we can begin to see these things in our own lives and say, maybe, maybe I didn't experience God's best in this situation because of this reason. Maybe it's my unbelief. Um, here's another thing I would focus on. Don't focus on failure and live in guilt and condemnation over it. That's going to be self-defeating. Um, but look forward. Look forward. How can I make sure that the next time that I need something from God, I'm going to receive it? And, um, and then also, you know, there is the possibility, and you see it here where Jesus was able to do no mighty work um, or not do many mighty works because of their unbelief. Sometimes other people's unbelief have an effect on it. And we have to be sensitive. If we're sensitive with the Father and, and we're sensitive to His voice, we can figure that out. He can speak to us and tell us, hey, it's because of this. There's a couple other examples throughout Scripture. You know, Jesus healed the blind man who had the mud in his eyes. He put the mud in his eyes. If you look in that Scripture, it says that he took him out of the city first. Uh, why? Does Jesus do, just do things that are random? I would argue that there was unbelief around, and there there was uh, there was some unbelief within that in those walls and the people around them. So he had to bring them out. He had to bring the man out of it to pray for him. Anyway, I'm going to say that's spec- my interpretation, my speculation. That doesn't say it definitively in the scripture, but if you look throughout scripture, also uh, the, there was um, a woman who her child died while Jesus was out ministering. He was making his way to come pray for the child who was sick, and uh, this is Luke 8. Uh, you can find the story in Luke 8. And Jesus was... Uh, on his way to go minister to this child, he starts, you know, he's got a crowd around him. Right before um, the, the, he gets the report that the child had died was where the woman with the issue of blood got healed. Um, and then he gets, uh, the, the uh, mom gets the report of the, uh, the, the child has, has died. And what does Jesus say? He said, only believe and she will be made well. Now, that, to me, that makes me think, well, you can believe and do something else at the same time. You can believe and doubt, but he instructed her to only believe. Now, he ended up raising the girl from the dead, but I have to think that he said that for a reason. So her, abil- her belief in her, uh, her daughter being well um, had something to do with it. It wasn't just Jesus. Jesus didn't say, Psh, Hey, I'm Jesus. You know, doesn't matter what you believe. I'm Jesus. So, yeah, you can think that she's gonna she's dead, but I believe otherwise. And because I'm Jesus, she's gonna be fine. He didn't portray that. He said, "Only believe, and she will be made well." It wasn't just up to Jesus. 
So I would also say if you're praying with people, if you're ministering to them, um, it's not just your, up to you. It's not just your unbelief why you might be um, experiencing, you know, um, anything short of God's best. best. So um, let's take some of these tools that we're learning. Uh, it's, it's getting late, but it's Wednesday night, and so we can do whatever we want. Um, let's take some of these tools that we, that we've learned and how unbelief can affect us, how it can slow us down, how it can hinder us from receiving God's best and say, I'm going to start ridding myself of some unbelief. I'm going to get that out. I'm going to get so convinced of the word of God. I'm going to get so convinced of his promises and his goodness that literally I can see something a hundred percent contrary to what I'm believing for. And it won't affect me at all. Uh, I'll, well, I'll just kind of end this with this story. I was praying for a guy uh, who had back problems, and his, uh, I got a word that his leg, was, one, one of his legs was shorter than the other. I asked him, have you ever checked to see if your legs were different lengths? And, uh, and he said, no, I haven't even thought about it. And so I said, well, sit down. Let's, let's take a look. And all of, he sits down, and all of a sudden, one of his legs is like an inch and a half shorter than the other. I said, look at your leg. And he's like... He's like, whoa. And he's like, I'm like, what happened? Why are you? And, he, and he had said that when he was 17, he got into a car accident. It da- he damaged his shin. His shin was all messed up. And apparently it had stopped growing. Uh, and the rest of his, his other leg had continued to grow. So he had been going through all this back pain because of this. And uh, I said, well, are you ready to... And he's not, he's not a Christian at all. He's just, he's just, you know, an unbeliever. I said, well, are you ready to experience uh, your leg growing out? And he's like, sure, whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I, I kneel down. I'm holding his feet. And I said, in the name of Jesus, I command that leg to grow out to where it was intended to grow out to. And I just sat there looking at it. And I didn't see anything right away. It wasn't like an instant, as soon as I said the word, it came forth. But I so hap- just so happened to be in, in the end, the third day of a three-day fast. And I remember thinking, I do not care that I'm not seeing this right now. I know it's done. I know it's done because I spoke it. And so I, I, just look, I was just thanking God. I just began to thank him because I knew when I spoke it that it was already done. And there was nothing that I could see that was going to waver me from that. And so... I just started thanking God. Probably 25, 30 seconds later, I just kind of like closed my eyes, began to thank him. And like as soon as I closed my eyes, all of a sudden his leg just jolts out and he stands up freaking out like, what did you just do to me? <laughs> and uh, and he, he starts walking around. He's like, I can tell that it's longer than what it was. And I said, how's your back? And he says, yeah, yeah, it feels good. And he starts bending over and his back was healed. He was riding his bike to work, so his, his bike ride, because, because of his one leg being longer than the other, was hurting him. He never had a problem after that. Um, and th- again, that happened at the end of a three-day fast. And I was, it, I was so convinced that there was nothing that was going to shake me from, from the reality of what was going to happen. Uh, I think sometimes we pray for people and we're surprised if it works. That could, that's an indicator that there might be some unbelief ingrained into you. You shouldn't ever, there, there shouldn't be that, whoa, that really worked. That's a, that's a sign that there's unbelief there, and it's, it's basically God's mercy that it worked. Because you weren't operating in the kingdom principles. So, um, wow, 844. Let's, let's do this. Let's everybody stand up real quick. Everybody stand up real quick. We're just going to not care what other people think. Is that okay? I encourage you, don't care what the person next to you thinks. Don't care what they think. Now I'm going to make you do some really funny stuff. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, we do this, we do this thing in, uh, in the kids' ministry. We call them God encounters. And that's where we encounter God. And we, we basically do something in the natural where we do mo- different, different exercises or different things in the natural that have a spiritual connotation to them and a spiritual uh, reality to them. You know, I would say, 
Jesus established a couple of these. Baptism would be one as a, a God encounter where we do something in the natural, but it has spiritual uh, weight to it. And there's st- stuff that's going on in the spiritual realm when we, we move that way in the natural. Also, um, communion. When you take communion, you're doing something in the natural, but it has spiritual relevance to it. And there's things that are changing because we're operating in the spirit. So likewise, let's, let's do something in the natural and experience God. We're gonna, what we're doing is it's a point of reference where we can say, I released my faith and now we're experiencing God. So let's have a God encounter. Is that all right? Yeah. Let's encounter God. So here's what we'll do. And uh, I just got this in prayer and uh, we're just going to go with it. God's, God's uh, And I encourage you, don't care what people are thinking around you. Just be, just focus on what God's thinking. So, I, I'm setting you up to like cluck like a chicken or something. <laughs> I, won't, I won't do that. I won't do that. <laughs> so here's what we're gonna do. Um, let's everybody close their eyes. Did you know that your imagination is is the very thing that God uses to give visions? It's what God uses to show you things. Um, so let's activate our imagination. Our imagination is God-given. It's God-inspired. And we can literally access the kingdom of God through our imagination, our imagination and experience him. So what we're going to do is with our eyes closed, we're just going to use our imagination. And right in front of us is a big door. And this door in front of it, can we get keys? Thanks. Right in front of us is a big door. And it's like massive. It's huge. It's wood. It's like arched at the top. It's got like a, a gold big hinge across the, across the whole thing. Big old door handle that's gold. And on the other side is the throne room of God. And so we're going to walk into the throne room. Jesus said, knock, and it will be opened. So what we're going to do is I want us to just, in a, in a minute on, all together, we're just going to knock on the door. We're going to open the door, and we're going to walk in. And we're going to experience his grace in the throne room. We're going to experience his love and his presence. And we're going to have a real encounter with the Father. So right now, on the count of three, I want you to just start knocking on the door, reach for that door handle, and then walk in. And just, again, I want you to just raise your expectation. God's on the other side of that door. His presence is on the other side of that door. We have the right to enter in. We have been covered by the blood of Jesus. He's on the other side with arms wide open. He's not holding anything against us. So here we go. On the count of three, we're going to knock on the door, open it, and step in. One, two, Unbelief can't stand in the presence. 
You can't be with God 24-7 and not believe and have doubts. you guys do this on your own start practicing just standing in his presence stepping into his presence experiencing him working right now. He's just moving on his on you guys. He's moving in this place. given. activated our imagination for the kingdom. Sometimes it's like you got to dust it off a little bit. You got to scrub the rust off of the imagination. I encourage you to use it. It's a powerful tool. It's a powerful tool to experience the kingdom, to see the reality of who God is. He gave us this imagination so we can experience it. We're seeing the things unseen. real quick on there's we in the kids ministry we do this pretty often usually every week and uh there's we hear all the time from kids just amazing testimonies 
seeing Jesus. They describe Jesus, and you can just tell in their eyes they saw him. Like they're just like, he had brown hair, and it was like there was gold in it, and he had like the bluest eyes, and he was like, he was just like so tall. Of course, they're little, so everyone's tall, but he was tall, and he had a beard, and it wasn't a really big beard. It's just like, and and literally everyone describes him the exact same which I think is just a miracle in itself but they're really experiencing God and they're really seeing him and kids imaginations are so powerful they're so powerful and so I just encourage us to start using our imagination like a kid does start imagining the reality of what heaven is what the kingdom of God all around us has in it We've, we've, we've had kids talk about how Jesus um, how Jesus would come and tell them, hey, you're mine. You belong to me, and I belong to you. And like literally they're telling me this right after we do one of these, and they're telling, telling me what Jesus told them. And it's just like, what's better than that? What's better than a kid just getting established and seeing seeing a kid just have their life change because Jesus talked to them. And I can just tell you, this isn't, this isn't just for kids. We all have access to this. Just need some childlike faith and start activating, doing things, start moving in the way that he's showing us. Amen. You guys can be seated. We're going to take up the offering. Take up the offering real quick. I'll just pray over it really fast. Father God, we just thank you that you have supplied all the needs that we could ever think of having. We hope you enjoyed this message. Find our other messages on iTunes or visit our website at lcboise.com and follow us on social media, Life Church Boise. Thank you and have a blessed day.